Well, hello. If we were running an advertising campaign to try and persuade people to become Christians, it would be very tempting to suggest that all you need to do is give your life to Jesus and that from then on, everything is wonderful. You live happily ever after. Of course, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you know that that is not necessarily the case. I became a Christian when I was quite young. In fact, I was only eight years old. I was brought up in a Christian home, and when I gave my life to Jesus, I knew what I was doing. I was genuinely putting him in charge. I knew that my sins needed to be forgiven, and I knew that he could forgive them. I believe that is when I was born again. But I hit a real crisis in my teenage years when my understanding and my experience of being a Christian really became quite miserable. I was trying so hard to please God. I desperately wanted to please him, but just felt that I couldn't. I would read my Bible, but would always feel that I wasn't reading it enough. I would pray, but never feel that I was praying enough. I would try to be good, uh, but would never feel that I was good enough. And in, and in fact, sometimes I wasn't good. And when I wasn't good, I would put myself in the doghouse for weeks, ashamed to become, come before God as my father. I um, was not experiencing God's love. Whenever anyone spoke to me about God's love, my mind would immediately fill with hundreds of reasons why God shouldn't love me. I was miserable. I felt guilty. I was depressed. Two things changed everything. The first is that someone finally took the trouble to explain God's grace to me. And I remember my response was, what? I can't lose. I kept saying it over and over again. I can't lose. All my sin, all my wrongdoing is forgiven. It's gone. Every slip up, every shortfall is forgiven and gone. And God will never call it to mind. And anything good that God brings about in my life is laid up for me as treasure in heaven, which will be never be taken away, never be robbed, never be spoiled. I remember I was so excited. I was in the old Queens Road building. If you know the Wimbledon venue of Everyday Church, it's now Boots the Chemist, but I was in that building. I remember I got so excited. I ran out of the doors of the church, turned up Queens Road and sprinted for about 100 yards. If I'd had a different personality, I would have danced, but I'm me, so I ran. The second thing that changed everything is that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Someone explained to me, I came to understand, uh, uh, observe in the lives of other people that the promise that we remember this week as we celebrate Pentecost, Jesus' promise of God's presence and power fulfilled in that first outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost that you can read about in Acts chapter 2, that that promise was for me too, as the Apostle Peter says, this promise is God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, young and old, men and women. Uh, my youth leader laid hands on me. I received the Holy Spirit. I felt like I was a kettle that had just been put on the gas. Everything came alive. I felt I was breathing fresh air. Now, of course, I've had struggles since. But when I have those struggles, it's coming back to those two things that gets me back on track, God's grace and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 7, Paul describes very similar struggles to those that I experienced. 
Uh, Listen to this. He says, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, Paul here is talking about God's law. For him, he was a Jew. He meant the first five books of the Bible. I don't know if you've read the first five books of the Bible, but in places it is hard going. It's full of ceremonies and complex um, regulations that seem impossible to keep and in fact are possible to keep. But those books are in the Bible because they teach us some very important things. They teach us about the purity of God. They teach us about the depravity of human beings. And they teach us about the impossibility of putting things right for ourselves. The law, when you read it, it comes across as such bad news. But Paul says it's good news. In verse 12 of Romans 7, he says the law is holy. The commandment is holy. It's righteous and good. How can it be good if all it tells me is that I'm wrong before God and I can't do anything to put it right? Well, in some ways, it's a bit like the medical report that tells you your cholesterol is high. It's bad news. No one wants to get that report. But if it's that report that makes you start putting things right and getting the help that you need so that you don't suffer the consequences of high cholesterol, then actually it's good news, isn't it? The law is good, but it's incomplete, Paul says. It shows us the problem, but it only hints at the solution. It shows us what holiness is, but it doesn't help us to be holy. I always think of the law as a bit like the headlights of a car. Except in this instance, instead of pointing forwards, they're pointing backwards. I'm driving through the dark night and I can't avoid the obstacles in front of me. I'm hitting everything. I'm bouncing off everything. I'm causing mayhem and destruction. There's nothing I can do to avoid anything. But when I look in the mirror, all the harm and the damage I've done is lit up behind me in glorious daylight. It's terrible. It's miserable. Now, you may not know the Old Testament law. This may be the first time you're hearing about it. But you do know what is right. And you know you often don't live up to what is right. Paul is describing the plight of many Christians. They're genuine Christians. They're born again. They have this desire in them to please God. And yet they're held captive by sinful patterns of behavior, by negative and condemning thoughts, by feeling distant and estranged from God. Paul's inner being desperately wants to please God, but there's a battle and he feels helpless. When we're saved, something amazing happens. We are spiritually awakened. The Bible calls it being born again. Our dead spirits are breathed into life by God and connected to his spirit. New appetites are birthed in us. His spirit starts speaking to our spirit and prompting us in different directions. The trouble is that all the time we're on this earth, old appetites are still alive too. Paul calls those old appetites the flesh. He's talking about our physical frailty and weakness. The world views around us that influence us so strongly and he's talking about our spiritual enemy, the devil. 
I wonder if you identify with what Paul is saying. It certainly describes me as a teenager. You know, powerless Christians often are in a worse state, a more miserable state than someone who has never thought about God because of this desire to please God contradicted by the weakness of their flesh. Well, I want to bring you a word of comfort. I want you to receive it. But first of all, some of you may need to get a bit more desperate so that you despair of looking in and start looking up, as Paul does when he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I have a huge privilege today of leading you into Romans chapter 8. I can't believe it's fallen to me to do this. Uh, Someone has described, they've said, if you thought about the whole Bible as a mountain range, and each book of the Bible is represented by a different mountain, then Romans is Everest, and Romans chapter 8 is the summit. So today we are going to summit uh, and breathe the pure mountain air. J.I. Packer says, Romans, all the roads in the Bible lead us to Romans. So are you struggling? Well, then brace yourself for some good news. Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Can you feel that pure mountain air filling your lungs? Paul is describing God's grace, God sending his own son. You could never live the holy life that God demands, but Jesus lived it on your behalf. He lived in the flesh, that means with all the frailty that you live, and yet he never sinned. He offered that pure life as a sacrifice for you and for me, and he gives that righteousness to us as a gift I don't earn it, I receive it by believing in him, by saying, yes, I want to be tied to you, Lord Jesus. This door of grace is wide open to you this morning, whoever you are. All you need is to despair of yourself and look to him. And then secondly, Paul describes walking according to the Spirit. He's talking about a new power that God gives to us. Jesus' life, death and resurrection removes the obstacle of sin. The Holy Spirit now gives us a new power to live the life that God wants us to live, to step out in that new direction. The law, even if it's only your own sense of what is right and wrong, can only condemn you. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us power to walk in a new direction. It's dynamic. Throughout his ministry, Jesus made this promise. He said, when I return to the Father, I'll send you what the Father promised, the Holy Spirit. That promise was first fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, about a week after Jesus returned to his Father. For me, it was seven years after I became a Christian that I first received the Holy Spirit in this dynamic way. It changed everything. What does it mean practically to walk by the Spirit of God? How do you get started? Well, We're going to sing a song, we're going to hear from my friend Echo, and then hopefully I'll be able to give you some practical advice. Okay, 
So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? And how do you get started? Well, the first thing is we need to ask. Sounds so obvious, but we need to ask God. We need to not look in, we need to look up. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, if even you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's amazing how many Christians are aware of their lack, but don't ask. Listen, God is love. That means everything that he is doing in your life is designed to draw you into deeper relationship with him. And asking your father for what you need is a really deep expression of relationship. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples received the Holy Spirit after they'd been waiting in the upper room for about a week. Actually, from the point that I first heard about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and started seeking to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, it took me about a year. It doesn't need to take you that long. Day after day, night after night, I would often be in my bedroom, often on my knees by my bed, saying, please fill me with the Holy Spirit, and then not feeling like anything happened. It was only when I had the humility to go to someone else, to go to my youth pastor and say, can you help me? And he prayed for me and he laid his hands on my head that actually there was breakthrough and things changed. You need to ask. You need to find someone whose pastoral gifting and spiritual maturity you trust and ask them to help you. But once you receive the Holy Spirit, how do you then walk in him? What does Paul mean by this phrase? He's not just talking about being forgiven by sin, from, for sin and breaking free from that sin. He's actually talking about moving on into all the things that God would have you do. In fact, following the promptings of the Holy Spirit is our best defense from sin. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the cravings of the flesh. If we keep looking at the thing that we're trying to avoid, we're more likely to go towards the thing. Actually, our best defense is to follow where the Holy Spirit is leading us. So what is the Holy Spirit prompting you today? He's speaking to you, if you're a believer, far more than you realize. Perhaps there's a word of encouragement he's prompting you to bring to a brother or sister. There might be a word of warning or correction, correction that he wants to bring through you to them. There might be a word of action <clears throat> or a word or an action of witness that he wants you to bring to a neighbor, a nudge to go somewhere or to do something. He's teaching us and prompting us all the time. How do you recognize that it is the Holy Spirit and not just your own wild ideas or deception for our enemy, from our enemy? Well, the great teacher David Pawson talks about an African-American pastor who was asked about the secret of his dynamic ministry. How come it that the Holy Spirit always moves when you speak? What's the secret? And the African-American pastor replied, well, I think myself clear. I pray myself hot, and then I just let go. Now, there does come a point where we have to just let go, like Peter stepping out of the boat. But it's important that that stepping out and letting go happens in the context of clear thinking and hot praying. 
So what do I mean by think ourselves clear? Well, I simply mean we need to be diligent in getting to grips with what God, God's Word said, says. If you want to learn what God is like, if you want to know the kinds of things he is likely to do and the kinds of things he is not likely to lead you into, you need to read the book that he inspired. Paul says in verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. We need to apply our mind to understanding the way that God is leading us. I had a friend years ago, I thought he was spiritually mature, I was wrong. He felt that God was leading him to abandon his wife and go off with another woman. He said God had shown him that he shouldn't have married that, that woman, he should be with that woman. Look, two minutes in the Bible would have shown him God is not leading you in that direction. Secondly, we need to pray ourselves hot. What's the strongest evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? You might say, well, it's violent shaking or it's falling down or it's miracles happening. Yes, all those things can be evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But Paul tells us the strongest evidence is a cry. And that cry is Abba, Father. It's relationship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Relationship is expressed as we come to God every day and speak to him and hear from him. So once we've got those two anchors in place of clear thinking and hot praying, we can just let go and we need to. We can just step out. Confident that God will not allow us to be led astray if we've got those anchors in place. He won't give us scorpions if we ask for fish or rocks if we ask for bread. If God is giving you a word of encouragement today for someone, find an opportunity to share it. If there's an act of generosity that you feel the Holy Spirit is prompting you to make, make it. If it's something serious or life-changing, like you're feeling you really need to challenge someone or you're feeling there's a life-changing direction you should go in, then weigh it. This is clear biblical thinking. Take it to other people who can help you weigh, is this God really speaking to you? But let's increasingly be people who step out. Paul tells us that we are children of God, co-heirs with Christ. If we have our minds set on the things of the Spirit and our channels of communication open with our Father in heaven, we may sometimes take a moment to find our way, but we will never be lost. Brothers and sisters, in Romans chapter 8, we're standing on the mountaintop. We're breathing pure air of the realm of the Spirit, as Paul calls it in verse 9. There is no condemnation because Jesus has offered his body, his flesh, as an offering for us. We are receiving life from the Spirit moment by moment. That births a cry in us of Abba, Father. If this isn't your experience, it can be. The way is wide open. But the first step is to ask. Ask.